Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to give a heads up about some trigger warnings that are discussed in the episode. Uh, We talk pretty heavily and openly about eating disorders and sexual assault. So if hearing about those two topics in any way harms you right now, please do whatever it takes to take care of yourself, even if that means not listening to this episode. Please just make sure your health and safety is the number one priority here. Okay, now for the episode. Hello, people of the world, and welcome to today's episode of the Unity Project podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the Unity Project podcast is one about the relationships that we have with our bodies. Today, I got to interview an incredible human being named Marley Liss. Marley is a somatic educator, award-winning speaker, author, restorative justice advocate, and lesbian Jewish feminist. All the amazing things, you guys. She made history in the justice system when her sexual assault case became the first in North America to conclude with restorative justice through the courts. Since then, she has coached hundreds of women and non-binary folk in healing shame and transforming trauma. Talking with Marley today was such a treat in so many ways. It was so enlightening to hear her story and to just talk more about the correlation between sexual assault and eating disorders. Also coming out queer and eating disorders and kind of processing all of that together. Marley also shared a bit about what it was like healing after her sexual assault and how somatic healing and different somatic therapies were really helpful for her and kind of just what that looked like and what it's like to reclaim touch after sexual trauma and just so much good stuff that I've always actually thought about but never really processed in the way I got to with Marley. So this conversation was incredible. Please enjoy and I will see you soon. Marley Liss, how are you doing up there in Canada? Hello, I'm good. I'm very excited for this interview. And like I was telling you before we hit record, I spent my morning with puppies. So I am in a fantastic mood. (laughs) That's the best way you could possibly spend your morning. For those listening, I was uh, greeted by the beginning of this interview by lots of farts from my dog. I just realized that sounded like they were coming, like they were coming from you. And that is not true at all. <laughs> no. Yes, they, my, my dogs have decided to um, add some sense to the room that I'm in. And so I'm also spending my morning with puppies, but in a different way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. So that's so exciting, though. So you're, you're getting a puppy. Yeah, we're going to get a puppy, which I'm so, so, so excited about. They, these are, are so cute. Ah, oh, my God. I'm so stoked for you. That's also like, have you been, have you had pets a lot throughout your life? I always like grew up with a family dog sort of thing. And then um, I love them so much. And my partner is the biggest dog lover I have ever met in the world. And it's just like so sweet and wonderful to see that. So I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Because I was going to say, especially with like the stuff we're going to get into today and whatnot, having animals around for like post-traumatic events and stuff is so impactful i like almost i have three dogs and my emotional support dog of the three is not in the office right now she's also the youngest so she's the most like anxious and she's a golden retriever so she's just all over the place and i was gonna try to have her in here but she was a little too stressed out or maybe Uh stressful she's she is an emotional support dog in ways and in other ways she's the opposite (laughs) but that's our goal Aww, that's yeah. so sweet. That's so true. Like they're they can be so therapeutic and just like so regulating in so many ways and just little balls of love. So yeah. oh yeah. 
For sure, for sure. Well, well, Marley, to start this, well, actually, before I get into that, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, just kind of who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So um, my name is Marley. My pronouns are she, her. Um, yeah, I'm living in Canada. Some more human-y things to start. I love dancing. I'm a Sagittarius. And <laughs> Me too. Very <laughs> Oh, really? When's your birthday? December 12th. Oh my God. Mine's December 11th. Oh my God. Maybe we. Wow. And we're both Jewish and we're both queer, and I'm super excited queer. right now. <laughs> I know. Okay. So, yeah, Sagittarius, um, very like sparkly, femme, lesbian, Jewish person, somatic coach. So, I studied somatic sex education, which we'll probably get into today, which I'm really passionate about. Um, I'm also a survivor of sexual assault, and I do a lot of advocacy speaking work around that. Um, and I've been able to share my story of restorative justice after sexual violence at many different campuses and conferences. And that's been really incredible. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an adventure for me since sharing my own story of um, restorative justice with the media. It's kind of been this snowball of like a speaking career and advocacy work and connecting with survivors all over the world. And it's been so fulfilling and also a lot at times, but mostly really, really meaningful. So mm. yeah, big adventures. That's awesome. That's very, very cool. Well, I'm super excited that one, we're both so many of the same things. Um, and two, to just, to just hear more about your story and, how you got to where you are now because you have just oh my gosh there's so there are so many layers i was we were talking earlier about how um typically when i'll uh, ask to do an interview i'll ask for the guests to send um any kind of prior prior information or like writings or if they've ever written books or been on other podcasts or anything for me to kind of like deep dive into before to know what uh before to know where to kind of take the conversation or where to kind of like highlight. And I just spent so much time going through your stuff because there's so you've done so much, so much. So you, you are, I wrote it all down here, an award-winning, you gave the human, human bio and I'll give your like promo bio. Um, award-winning speaker, restorative justice advocate, author, somatic coach, and lesbian Jewish feminist, which yay for all those things. Um, but it's just so cool. So I'm excited to hear about it. But anyway, Marley, to start off the interview, will you describe the relationship that you have with your body today? Mm, I love that question a lot. Um, as for many of us, it's been a big journey. It's been a big journey with relationship to body. And it's interesting because, well, I'll give a little bit of background context. Like I studied um, social work after high school. And a major reason I chose that was because of how much I had struggled with disordered eating and the people around me had struggled with it. Um, living in an objectification culture, which we all do, but also growing up in competitive dance and an aesthetic sport, it was really, mm. really common for people to be struggling with that. And um, I definitely normalized like disordered eating and food and weight preoccupation growing up to a degree that I didn't even realize how much I was struggling until I eventually grew up and went to therapy and was like, whoa, that was a lot. Like a mm -hmm. lot of those behaviors were incredibly um, harmful towards my body. And yeah, it was very consuming for most of my life. Like if I look back on my journals in high school, because I actually have journals from grade four on from nine years old on, I have like 35 journals. Oh my of, God. Which is so cool. But if awesome. I look back at high school, it's like so much calorie counting and like oh. dieting. And I'm just like, oh, little me sending love. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my upbringing. And then that led me to study social work. And I did my practicum at Canada's um, eating disorder prevention center. And that was amazing. And I learned a lot about that. And then 
went through sexual trauma and felt again, this like huge severance, um, between myself and my body. And I actually felt really mad at my body for a long time. Felt like my body was against me. Felt like all the trauma responses were, um, working against me. Didn't understand the functionality. And since doing so much healing and so much learning around trauma and somatics and all of these things, have really gained so, so, so much, um, not just compassion, but appreciation for those mm-hmm. responses and for my body's like cues and instincts and like the things that I used to find really annoying, like little twitches when I feel scared. I'm like, oh, this is just like information. So I feel like I'm recognizing my body's wisdom more than ever. And I feel like I've finally really been doing the like intuitive eating thing and not obsessing i feel like i've come so far with that and in the past year i'm like wow this is the least preoccupied i've ever been with body image and food and weight and like that is such a wonderful feeling oh wow that's very, very cool and encouraging to hear, especially when you get you get into like disordered eating stuff and eating disorder stuff. Uh, that's actually I started this podcast like the month after I discharged from an eating disorder treatment center. So a lot of what a lot of like the heart of this is kind of started from that place of like realizing um, a big, pretty much all the answers that I was looking for really all came back down to my relationship with my body and like the connection versus the disconnection and stuff. And so it's always really encouraging to hear that, that you found, you found so much, um, so much healing and intuitive eating and stuff like that. And how that's actually like become a cool part of your life. That's awesome. So you're saying you um, grew up with calorie counting. How, how did, do you remember like how that kind of started? Oh my gosh, it was so huge growing up. I think uh, like having studied the media and things since then, I'm just like, no, like, of course, everyone was struggling Mm -hmm. so much with this. Um, And I think the, so like, there's that context of like the way we're objectified and the diet weight loss industry profiting off of us so much and all that. Um, but I definitely think for me, it started really through like being in competitive dance and having teachers that would emphasize body image so much. I remember oof, like so many horrible practices in the dance studio people. We at one point for one year, we weren't allowed to wear um, shirts to dance class. We could only wear sports bras and they would be like, stand in front of the mirror and just like, look at your bodies. Mm. And, like, yeah, just kind of like evaluate. Oh, yeah. You want to be, yeah. And like a ballet teacher once told us to, we were like 10 and she was like, a really good thing to do is to wrap your body in saran wrap and run around because you'll like sweat out your, the food you ate more. And I remember like doing that with my friends at sleepovers when we were like 10, 11. So it was just this culture of like ridiculous emphasis on being thin specifically. Um, so yeah, I think that just set me up <laughs> to really kind of spiral, like definitely in high school, just a lot of harmful behaviors. Like, um, I was like binging and purging and kind of, um, uh, ping-ponging between those things. And then like at one point I like ordered diet pills online, but again, like going through high school, I never saw any of that as weird or problematic or a sign of struggle i was just like this is part of you know being a girl in this culture like i just didn't it was so normalized i think of shows like gossip girl where it's like quite chill that they have a character who has a full-blown eating disorder it's never really addressed as something to give care or you know oh yeah yeah so it it wasn't until like my 20s when I when I went to therapy for sexual trauma that I started talking about some of those things. And therapist was like, you know, it sounds like you had like eating disorders growing up that were totally, you know, like untreated neglect. And I was like, wow, that 
yeah, I totally did. And the more I thought about it, the more I just like unpacked that and um, realized how it's not, um, it's not just how it is to be mm-hmm. constantly consumed with like food and weight. That isn't like how we are meant to go through life. So it wasn't really till I understood that there were alternatives to that, that I was like, Oh, I don't want to live that way. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you, the first time you really acknowledged that you had an eating disorder was in therapy after, after your assault is what you're saying. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was, what was that? That must've felt overwhelming to be like, I am here to process this huge thing that just happened. That is like completely debilitating. And now all of a sudden I had an eating disorder. Oh my gosh. I, I also, it was a wild time. I also realized that's also when I realized I was queer. At first, I thought wow. I actually realized I was lesbian, but that's when I first was like, I'm not straight like that. So it was a oh while. <laughs> that's a big time in your life. My God. It's a, a lot at once. Yeah, for sure. Um, you had asked, like, what was that like to? Yeah, have to have that? so many, like, big things all of a sudden to process through. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because. In a way, I mean, it was really, really, really challenging. That's like what I'll say first. It was a really, I was in a very dark place after sexual trauma for maybe one to two years. I was really not in a good place. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was very overwhelmed. And I remember with like queerness, for example, I was like, this is definitely a thing but I cannot deal with it right now. And I remember kind of like putting it on a shelf and being like, I will, I will come back to this. Like it was mm-hmm. just at once. Um, I would not be okay if not for supports and resources, including like therapy um, support groups that I accessed, even just like certain podcasts and books that were really helpful. Um mm-hmm. But it was a lot. I, I had to, I had to, like take a semester off of school. I had to not work for a bit. Um, I struggled a lot with panic. I feel like actually my relationship to food got even more complex after the trauma for a while. To, and that's kind of when I was like, this is something I need to address and talk about. Um, I feel like I was using. Like I said, I was very mad at my body after trauma and I feel like I was using food as a way to like punish my, my body, um, or express my anger. I didn't know I wasn't like directing my anger in healthy places or expressing it in healthy ways. And I feel like I directed it towards my body. So in some ways it was so overwhelming, but then it was also an incredibly healing time as well, because it led me to so many resources that I'd actually needed for like a really long time since I was young, but hadn't gotten. So in a way, like it did point me towards healing and recovery and resources that I'd been needing for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, it's so interesting because I, I like I back when I was in treatment, a lot of um, I mean, a lot of stories have very similar themes in them where someone was assaulted sexually and then different coping mechanisms. A lot of the time food became one of them or. uh, Gosh, I don't know, just like food seems to be a really, really, in a sense, helpful tool, seemingly helpful tool to kind of deal with that kind of thing. And so it's, it's interesting because you're saying you, I guess, well, I guess like as a kid, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known you had an eating disorder. You thought that was just normal is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then, then finding out like language for what it was, and then it kind of, you said became even more complex after talking about that, after your assault and stuff. Why do you think, um, why do you think it, we go to that kind of thing. Cause I did something similar. I had, I grew up with weird food stuff, long story, but then after 
my assault when I was 17, uh, that's when it went like really, really deep into eating disorder world. And I just like, I hear that a lot. And so I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was also just actually doing research on this um, intersection um, for this like survivor-based project that I'm helping with. But I think it's an intersection that doesn't get talked about enough. And I forget exactly where this statistic came from, but it was like a really high percentage, like 70% of like um, patients in eating disorder treatment had reported sexual abuse or like something Mm -hmm. really high like that. Please don't like people check that, but (laughs) it was a really high correlation. Um, And I think I think there's a I think there's a lot of potential reasons on a more like just us and our bodies and our survival mechanisms from that lens. I'm like, it's an avenue for it's not true control, but like what feels like control mm-hmm. at a time when we're spiraling and we feel so powerless. It's like and we can't control um the way other people are treating our bodies in the world it's like well at least I control how I can treat mine and in some ways that can feel um supportive until it's not so Mm -hmm. I think that's a lens and then I also think on a more cultural level way down at the root of um disordered eating how we treat our bodies how bodies are depicted in the media how women are so objectified um mm-hmm. i think the, like the root of objectification lives in rape culture as well as like diet culture so it's like the way we've kind of made our our bodies or the media's kind of made our bodies like commodities or like something just to look at right so i'm like mm-hmm. well that feels like the same that feels like a part of rape culture to me. So it just feels so connected um, and so complex in that, in that way. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you talk about like the control aspect of it. And I just remember being like in my brain trying to find, I don't know, like when things got so loud trying to like, get what happened out of my head, I would just be like, okay, I'm just going to go full force into being as super like quote healthy as I possibly can, which actually just meant like super into an eating disorder as I possibly can. And it just felt like this one thing I had. And I was like, okay, but I could do this and then I can make myself look like this. And then it was kind of like a redirect, which I was just going to say it like a distraction or deflection because in terms of sexual trauma I know for me I was like I was really devastated by like sexual assault as a whole like I was like I'm it felt so global and catastrophic to me I was like wow like this is the commonness of it, like connecting with so many survivors. I was like, this is everywhere. Like it felt (laughs) inescapable after trauma. I was like, it's in every movie. It's like everywhere I turn kind of thing. I would like see little girls walk down the street and I would cry. I like, it was so, I felt it everywhere. Um, And so that felt so incredibly out of my control that it was like breaking me in a way. And then something inside is like relieved by being like, Oh, I'm going to turn my attention away from that and be like, none of that is actually the problem. The problem is my diet. And I, if I change that, I'll feel good, which is not true. Like that's not a true statement, but that's kind of the deception that I think can get created. Like you're saying, it's like this redirective focus where you say, um, here's what is within my control. Here's what isn't. Um, and of course, like none of that is actually real because bodies are determined by so many different things that might include like genetics and things that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily in our control. Um, but it can give that kind of illusion for a bit. And then we end up hurting ourselves. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's such a complex topic. I'm glad we're talking about it because I remember 
struggling with this so much and being like, I just wish more people were talking about this. Like, I don't really know where to turn. Yeah. Were, were you raised, I know that you're Jewish. Were you raised mm-hmm. under like, um, like what was kind of the, the culture around being queer when you were growing up? Like what was kind of the, the vibe? Um, yeah. So I feel, I feel very privileged in that my family is definitely quite progressive. We were definitely more reform. So like a liberal mm-hmm. version of Judaism. Um, my, yeah, my <laughs> dad, my dad owned an art gallery growing up. He still owns it. So we, I had a decent amount of queer people around me because queerness and the art worlds are so, um, um, merged. Like they're so mm-hmm. merged. Together. So I did grow up with like queer representation and see kind of seeing my parents be like, these are our friends. And I'm like, okay, they're not judging them or anything like that. So I feel very privileged in that sense. Um, I think though, growing at the same time, growing up in like a smaller Jewish suburb, you get a lot and this is specific to Judaism, but also just like compulsory heterosexuality in our world, like heterosexuality being kind of seen as the default in our world. Um, there was a lot of like, have you met a nice Jewish boy? <laughs> you could date Jacob down the street, like going to summer camp and having the girl cabin and the boy cabin and the period of day where everyone would be like, this is going to be my boyfriend and I would like (laughs) I was always like I I didn't I'm not someone who knew I was queer and like kind of hit it I did not know I did not know until I knew um and like I would just kind of focus I was just like obsessed with dance I was like I don't have time for this like I just am like I'm here to dance I want to grow up and be a dancer like I don't have time to be distracted by boys so I feel like that (laughs) allowed me to not understand (laughs) for a long time I like hid behind that um but yeah, I, I I was still really scared, even though I knew my parents were accepting. Um, mm-hmm. I was so scared to to eventually like come out as lesbian. Um, I think just so much stigma around the word, so much stereotyping. Um, I hated the word for a long time. I was like, the word lesbian is just like gross. I couldn't even like write it in my journal. I was like so much shame around it. Um, So yeah, it was still a lot of unlearning. I do feel like in terms of Jewish identity, it was never what I experienced was it was never explicitly shamed. It was never seen as something bad, but it also just wasn't talked about or mentioned as like a viable option um so I just I really never questioned it until I was like overwhelmed with questioning it Mm. okay yeah yeah Yeah. that makes sense that makes sense so I uh I was raised like what about you yeah yeah I was raised I wasn't raised Jewish so I was raised super conservative Christian um yeah and so I uh, I always knew I was Jewish because my dad, I think his like grandparents were Jewish immigrants from Poland or something like something like that. But I always yeah. knew I was like Jewish by blood, but never understood anything about the religion, the religious side of it or any of the traditions and stuff till the past few years. Because um, I started really deconstructing and just getting really angry about Christianity when I was like 23 or 24, somewhere in there. And that's kind of when I started to get curious about Judaism because I, the one thing that really, really got my attention was um, I heard, I think it was, I think it was a rabbi said uh, that the one of the differences between Judaism and Christianity is that in Judaism, the conversation starts at scripture. It doesn't end at scripture, where in Christianity, scripture is it. And then there's no conversation past that. And so that really got my attention and I got super into it. Um, But I don't know, like, I guess, like, 
I started getting into it around because that's around the same time when I came out. And then when also when I was like, I want to like sit down for coffee with you and just like swap life stories. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder where we overlap. Yeah. Um, Cause that's around the time when I was first like realizing I had an eating disorder and um, was figuring out my sexuality and then was like, Oh, I'm also Jewish. Um, and so it was the idea of like that not being okay in a Jewish circle wasn't really in my mind at all, just because I grew up with like the Christian world of it very much not being okay. And so I grew up with a lot of shame around it um, for multiple reasons, but I have talked to people in a similar way about uh, growing up closeted, affecting their relationship with food as like, um, uh, an assault affecting someone's relationship with food. And I was just wondering if you had similar thoughts in that category, if you had any, like, yeah. Like, like, what do you think about that? Yeah. I think that's so, I think that there is so much there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me want to like learn because like I've like I said, I've like researched like sexual trauma and disordered eating and that link. But I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm curious about those links that you bring up of queerness. And I definitely think when I think back to little me, I always felt a little out of place. And again, it's easy to normalize certain things and be like, you know, I'm awkward. I'm going through puberty. Like everyone feels a little weird in their skin at this age. Um, <laughs> but maybe we don't realize we're feeling that for different reasons or to a different degree. So I definitely think that was a big factor. And it's interesting for, for me too, because um, I'm very femme. I'm very like high femme I wear pink all the time I wear sparkles like all that stuff and that's always been me um (laughs) and with the like stereotypes and kind of aesthetic we associate with lesbianism there was no one in my life who was like think you might be gay like and when I came (laughs) out nobody was like oh this you know we knew all along I didn't have any of that um so I think I also felt so far away from the potential of being queer for that reason. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much it played a role. I'm sure that Mm -hmm. it did more than I realized. I'm like, I want to think about this more, but yeah, I I didn't even realize that I wasn't comfortable in a heteronormative culture. Like I was Mm -hmm. so far from that realization, Um, but I was uncomfortable at the Mm -hmm. same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, survival instincts kicked in to just like not even think about it to just be in it just be straight so that there won't be any problems yeah for sure i love that point that you brought up about um judaism and the the invitation to um not have such fixed thinking because i do love that about jewish identity i do love the the embrace of like questioning things, asking questions, like just because Hashem said this in the text doesn't mean that that's the last say ever. Like, how do you feel about that? I think that that kind of line of questioning and curiosity does bring us back to our own bodies where we're like, what am I feeling? So Mm -hmm. I think connecting with that, no matter what your religion or culture is like connecting with that more and more is, is so helpful. And I know for me, the more I unpack heteronormativity and the more I unpack like diet culture, the more it all brings me deeper into my own body where I say, wow, how the heck did I not notice these cues before? Like they're actually Mm -hmm once I pay attention my attraction to my non-binary lesbian partner is like like, immense and I'm like is this what girls in high school were feeling towards boys because I was not feeling so noticing my my, like somatic body cues more and more has been huge I'm like oh actually like so much of the wisdom and answers like I was looking for are actually here based on Mm -hmm. what I'm feeling yeah oh my gosh I love that 
I love that so much. I, I love that and can relate so much to like, whoa, what my body say I called it when I called it my lady boner. <laughs> first time. Okay, tell me like about being a somatic coach and kind of the things that that you think about and talk about and kind of what's helped you out in the whole healing journey regarding that. So I've been playing around more with like somatic educator or something like that, just because I'm not sure how I feel about the word coach and like the mm-hmm. I'm just like I'm just reflecting and unpacking <laughs> like my feelings towards the coaching world. Um but it started because I um first began kind of seeking somatic healing after sexual trauma because <laughs> I had studied um like I said I was studying social work so I was learning a lot about that. Um I was learning a lot about um, about like studying psych as well. So a lot of mind-based things and those things were really, really, really helpful, but something was still missing for me in terms of my body and what my body was holding on to after trauma and like the tension I was holding. And really, I mean, that trauma was so huge for me too, because it was the first time I realized that we can't just like mind over matter our way through life because mm-hmm. As we've said, I'm a person who does a lot and I will, I'll do a lot, like, you know, I'll, all that stuff. Um, and I realized after this trauma that I don't have the cap- the option to push through. And that first happened because I was at first saying, I don't need to take time off school. This isn't something that's going to affect me too much. I like made that decision. Um, I'm going to go back to school. And I started walking towards my classes and I broke out in hives and I had immense mm-hmm. ringing in my ears. And then I eventually started like hyperventilating later on. I was like, oh, that was a panic attack. But at the time I was like, this is insane. Like, am I having an allergic reaction to something? Like mm-hmm. what is going on? And I, I got to the, the school and I walked in and I like found, went to the um, counseling office and they were like, you're having a panic attack. And I was like, no, I think I'm having an allergic reaction to something. And they're like, are you allergic to anything? And I was like, no, but this, there's no way this is emotional. Like, there's no way it's too big. Right. So mm-hmm. that kind of made me be like, holy shit. I... It, it, it can be that big. The connection is that big. Like our emotions and our body um, are actually that connected. And that felt very scary at first. And now it feels very beautiful and it feels very empowering. But in that moment, I was like, oh, I do not know what to do with this. Yeah. Um, also, because dance really, dance really was my absolute magic growing up like I emotionally processed so much of my life through dance without realizing that's what I was doing growing up but Mm -hmm. I would like cry on stage like doing dance I would like move myself to tears on stage like it was always such a cathartic thing for me so I already really really believed in like emotional processing through embodiment practices because of that background. I was like, absolutely. So I felt like dance was not completely accessible to me after trauma because I was still too mad at my body, like I said. Um, (laughs) But I did learn about, I forget how I did, but I learned about like the word somatic um, healing. And I started seeking out, like I started working with a therapist who would actually work with the body and say things like okay you're feeling a lot of anger like where are you feeling that in your body and I had just never thought that way before I was like oh I'm pissed (laughs) off like and then eventually I started to realize like oh I feel that in my stomach and if I just take a second to like kind of localize the emotion and breathe into that spot like something happens for me whether it's crying or wanting to scream or wanting to like move my body. It was like, Oh, the, the process happens through, um, that localizing. So that did so much for me. And I loved that so much that I just got curious and I signed up for a somatic, um, 
sex education. I think I read a few books first, but then I was like, I'm obsessed with this. This has helped me a lot. So I started studying somatic sex education through an institute and I just loved, I just loved it so much. And another reason I loved it so much is because, like I said, I was studying social work and I often found that it felt quite disempowering and important. So it was like this beautiful kind of activist lens of like, we need to give a shit about very real cultural barriers and like systemic um, oppression and like things that really do shape our life that are outside of us. It was like, we really need to pay attention to those things, challenge those things, which is a thousand percent so important. What I hated about it was having people call the eating disorder helpline and saying, um, I'm so sorry that there's not enough, there's really inadequate services around this. There's nothing we can do for you. Because I'm like, no, I feel like we need to, there has to be something though. Um, (laughs) So I didn't like that. It was like, it felt, it felt like it was totally focused on um, culture, but almost ignored the body and the self. And then on the other end, I was really obsessed with self-development as well. I was really obsessed with yoga as well. Um, and meditation. I love <laughs> these practices so much, but I found the exact opposite where I said, how beautiful we're focused on the body. We're focused on healing. This is so empowering. But often in those spaces, I was like, why aren't we acknowledging though that there is like, we're not all coming from the same place. There's like inequity. We can't all like manifest our way to like, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever. So when I found somatic practices and somatic sex education, I was like, ah, oh, like this is the balance of those things and the best parts of those things and the bridge of those things that I have been looking for for so long, where we acknowledge that like our culture, our environment shapes us, but then we also shape our environment and our culture. So there's like agency and acknowledgement. And I was just like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful and balanced and honest and empowering. It's not minimizing anything. Like it just felt really um, like a homecoming in a way. Wow. I don't think I've ever actually heard of somatic sex education. What is, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm about to learn so many cool things. What is that exactly? Yeah. So, I mean, so, so somatic, it like comes back to the word body. Like we're focused on the body. Um, And it really is like this like Western colonial thing for us to be like, we can heal everything through the way we think. Like the mind is everything like, right. So somatic is bringing the body back into it. And then when we think about sex education, it's exactly that shift. So there's like intellectual sex education where we can have a conversation about, um, sex education and like attraction (laughs) arousal and messages we've received around like shame and we can talk about like religious upbringing influencing sexual shame right and then Mm -hmm. it's a different thing to say um you know where do you feel like you're carrying that in your body like do Mm. you feel shame it is is shame expressing itself as like tension in your pelvis and like is that causing you pain or discomfort or is it um severing you from pleasure and like how can that shift so it's really just bringing the body into the experience of um transforming shame into something a lot more loving and i think it's so beautiful because it's really like we said before it's putting your our own bodies um front and center in that process so for so many of us growing up sex education might have been oh you're born a girl you're gonna find a nice boy here's what you're gonna do together blah 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 whereas somatic sex education says like well what is your body kind of directing you towards like what Mm. feels really expansive and empowering and loving for you and what feels scary and what feels like you're just not interested at all and how can you recognize those different cues and Mm -hmm. I think that it brings in this gorgeous spectrum of 
um, gender and sexuality where everything's possible and everything's valid. Um, and that just feels like so, so beautiful to me. And it, it is actually rooted in queerness as well, because somatic sex education kind of started as a response to the AIDS crisis. And there was so much grief happening in the queer community at that time. And someone said, you know, we need a space to um, celebrate and connect with our pleasure together. And like, that is a huge aspect of our healing is connecting with our pleasure and connecting with our bodies and feeling safe and present in the moment. Um, so that's kind of where it came from, which is mm -hmm. it's very beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. I need to do like a deep dive into that world. So you're saying it, it's kind of like a uh, sex education with like your body as the teacher almost. Yeah, I think it just really guides you deeper and deeper into your body. And that eventually leads you to validate or act upon or create boundaries for yourself. Um, even I was listening to a podcast on on asexuality recently, and I'm I'm definitely not an expert on asexuality, but you know, I was just talking about how um compulsory sexuality is a thing in our culture, like the demand to be sexual and the way that we kind of pathologize um, anyone who's not sexual, has no desire. We're like, well, something's wrong with you. We need to fix that. Mm -hmm. um, but if we let our bodies lead and someone genuinely feels that, eventually it's like it's learning to basically validate our instincts and our feeling over our conditioning versus like so many of us have learned to do the opposite so for so many of us conditioning overrides our instincts right so for me like the conditioning to be a straight girl <laughs> um and to be with like a man overrided rode whatever overrode my <laughs> instincts overrode what i was feeling so that became louder than what my body was telling me. And I eventually said, I don't know, maybe my body's wrong. And like, this is the more valid thing. So somatic sex education is all about coming back to our bodies, regaining trust, um, learning to value our sense of safety more because so many of us are constantly crossing our boundaries in order to fit in or to be accepted. Um, and this is saying like, no, you're, sense of safety and your pleasure really, really, really matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. That did, did that kind of happen? I'm assuming all this, you started kind of getting into this stuff in the midst of going to therapy after the assault, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so was this a big, was somatic sex ed a big part of like your healing journey and learning how to feel safe in your own body and learning how to kind of like reclaim touch and whatnot. And, and a lot of the things that you talk about, was that kind of like the roadmap for you? Yeah. I mean, it definitely came maybe about a year after trauma. I think for about a year, I, I had, I didn't discover it yet. Um, I was in more like <laughs> conventional therapy which was still really helpful. Like it was still really helpful. Um, but I think I'm trying to think of like when I would have discovered it, but I think it was about a year after trauma. And it just, it felt like the second I discovered this, it was such a light bulb moment. And it was like, you know, like, of course our bodies are relevant to the conversation of trauma healing. Like, of course mm -hmm. they are. Um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of like, like you said, I was kind of like, in love with it right away. I was like, wow, this feels like this missing piece because it's one thing for me to talk about how angry I am while I sit on a couch and I'm really calm and I'm just like, yeah, I'm feeling really angry. And it's another thing for me to like smash a pillow till I cry or like, mm. you know, walk really fast with angry music on and feel like my adrenaline race. Like these are different things that are happening. And one is like truly a process. Um, rooted in embodiment and one I feel is more talking about a process that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah. a ton of sense. I, 
I'm always very interested in the whole somatic healing world. I my all my therapy was mainly like EMDR stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very, which I loved EMDR. Well, in ways (laughs) EMDR was a bit of a nightmare in a lot of other ways, but it was always very much just like in my head. And I always was very curious when I would hear people talking about different types of somatic healing after, after trauma, because I felt like I was getting this, like all the EMDR therapy, but then also at the same time learning about like my relationship with my body and like the connection there. And I feel like what you're talking about really mixes the two in a really, really cool way. That's very, that's very cool. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, the 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 main one really is I'd love to hear partially for to be honest for my own benefit <laughs> and then also for whoever's listening. But what what are ways that you like? You talk a lot about healing after sexual trauma, and uh, I think you made a post we were talking about earlier about like tips that you said your were examples from your partner about ways that uh, they could show up for you there. I don't know if I'm asking this the right way. Do you understand what I'm asking? (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like just like some tangible tips around um, reclaiming pleasure after trauma, whether that's solo or with or relationally. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for your help. (laughs) With words are hard sometimes. (laughs) You're good. You're good. Um, Yeah. So. I guess I want to start with solo because I want to like include everyone. And, but mm-hmm. I will also add that I think relational healing doesn't have to just come through like a monogamous romantic partner. Like I think relational healing can happen in many different with many different shape sizes, colors, you know, like a friend, uh, like whatever, so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something that was really, 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 or I know something that was really, really, really huge for me was kind of starting by creating a mindful pleasure practice. Um, And this is really, really, really not a rigid thing, but it's a really beautiful way to start Um, letting your body cues be louder than your conditioning and all that good stuff. So this is really just a practice where, and it's rooted in somatic sex ed, where first of all, you schedule out a time for yourself. It can be like maybe 20, if that doesn't feel accessible, like 10 to 60 minutes based on what feels good for you. You can set that time. Um, so say I choose to do this practice once a week for 10 minutes. The act of just carving out that time already is so significant because we're undoing so much like capitalist culture, for example, that says, don't put yourself before your work, like productivity. And we're saying, no, actually, my pleasure, my healing really, really, really does matter. So there's already like something really powerful in that. You schedule out that time. Um and you create like a loving context for yourself, something that helps you feel connected to pleasure if that word feels too emotionally charged maybe you choose a different word um comfort safety enjoyment relaxation um so you create context maybe that means lighting some candles maybe it means putting your phone on airplane mode maybe it means um having a big water bottle beside you lots of different things And then you can like set an intention for it and say, you know, I want to take the next 10 minutes to just um, relax a little more or be curious. Um, And then you literally just ask like your body, what would help me connect with pleasure right now? Or like I said, you can swap that word out, but I would ask what would help me connect with pleasure right now? And you let your body answer really honestly. So for most of us, when we think of like self-pleasure, we probably go right to like, oh, you mean um, mass reading to like climax with a vibrator? Maybe that is what this is for you. If it is wonderful, great. But for a lot of us, it's going to be different things. So if I say, what's going to help me connect with pleasure right now? It might be um, lying down and listening to my favorite music for 10 minutes while I breathe really deeply. 
and put my hand on my belly. It might be taking a bath. It might be meditating for 10 minutes. It might be dancing around. It might be giving myself a a self-massage. It might be eating pizza really slowly and enjoying it. Um, It's really just the act of asking your body and listening, which is a huge um, opportunity for us to reclaim consent, um, reclaim our, our knowing that we have a right to boundaries and desires because we are in charge in this role. If we need to stop, we stop. If we need to slow down, we slow down. Um, you're not committed to that act for the full 10 minutes either. If you start by getting your favorite vibrator, cause that feels good for you. And then halfway through, you're like, you know what, this is too much today. I actually need to just, um, stretch my neck for the next five minutes, then that's what you do. So your body, your mind kind of start to be on the same page that my boundaries matter, my desires matter, my right to pleasure matters. I have many options and how I connect to pleasure. And something that's really key to that is kind of staying within your learning zone, which means you're expanding your comfort zone. It might feel a little bit edgy, but you're also honoring your limits. So you're not pushing yourself to a point of panic. You're remembering this is about my pleasure. So it really becomes such a gorgeous practice for reclamation. Um, And I think that that's such a beautiful one. I think you can incorporate a partner into that if you want. Maybe you're like, what would feel amazing for me for the next 10 minutes is my partner just like holding me in a hug, you know, like you start to just get familiar with what feels good for your body. Um, And it's really sweet in a way, which I think is a really special thing after trauma. A lot of us associate pleasure or touch or sexuality with something scary. And this is like a really sweet way of being like, yeah, let's really feel this out. Let's really take the time. Let's really see what feels like just enough. Um, it almost makes me think of like Goldilocks trying all the, all the, what does she even do? <laughs> She's the one to like, porridge. Something's too hot. Something's too cold. <laughs> but I think it's a similar thing where we give ourselves the time to like try some different things and be like, yeah, this is, this is too much for me right now. And that's okay. Um, and I think that's really special. And I, I just think, oh, I know I'm gone a tangent here, but I just think like healing after trauma can feel so heavy and hard and scary and inviting pleasure into the process is such mm. a loving thing to do for ourselves and to acknowledge that pleasure looks and feels and is different for all of us in different moments. That is wonderful, wonderful advice and things to say. And I love how I love how you give that time span of like anywhere from 10 minutes to I think you said like an hour, just really whatever feels good for you and whatever that looks like. And that sounds so it sounds very gentle in like yeah. a perfect way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love that so much about the somatic lens too because I think so often we have a what do I need to fix and how do I do it mindset and often Mm -hmm. the somatic lens will say wow how beautiful that your body is doing its absolute best to protect you um by doing that oh my gosh that feels like a big hug (laughs) listening to that it's just so good. It's so exactly what, like exactly what the kind of thing you need when you are healing from trauma. Cause it just, it's so sounds so safe and so gentle and so non-judgmental and compassionate and just like very much just, just recognizing what your body is doing and how it's really trying to help you and how these things that, I don't know. We, I I know I, and I won't speak for everybody, but like feel shame or judgment over if it is something that has helped me distract myself, even something like an eating disorder. Like it was helpful for your body trying to help you at the time, even though it was actually harming you, it, it, it was trying to take care of you. And it just helps so much when it's 
healing the relationship between you and your body and stuff like that. And I just love it all so much. And <laughs> I'm so happy that I found you on the internet and that I got to ask you all these things. I have, I have one more question and it's the most important question you're ever going to be asked. Um, <laughs> are you ready for it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Would you rather, uh, would you rather be the host of a game show of it's a it's a competition of Pomeranian Shih Tzu Yorkies, okay. and it is. Do you remember that uh, show on Nickelodeon? Uh, I think it was called Guts, where it was like this game show with like a bunch of kids. They had to go do this like. I don't know. It was like Nickelodeon, so it wasn't really that scary, but just this intense stuff. It was like a bunch of races and a bunch of competitions and stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? I okay. don't, but I I get I get the picture. You get the picture. Okay, so think of that in whatever way you're okay. thinking of that, but with Pomeranian Shih Tzu Yorkies as the competitors and you're hosting this and it's like high stakes. Okay. And there's money involved. Whoever wins, wins like a lot, like a big gift card to Petco. And it's just like a really big deal. Would you rather host that game show mm -hmm. or would you rather be a tour manager for a band? I'm thinking of this as I'm saying it, if that's not clear. <laughs> um, a band of singing kangaroos. Now these kangaroos are very human-like. Like, I don't know how you instantly just thought of a, like a singing kangaroo, but it's like, it's speaking English. It's got attitude. It doesn't really care that it's a kangaroo. Like, it's part of society. Yeah. It's pretty cool that you're tour managing them because, like, who's ever done that before? But at the same time, like, they're not very nice. They're kind of bitchy. <laughs> they're very no, demanding. I know it's the first one already for sure. The first one. <laughs> I'm, I just know it's the first one. Even um, I, f I get told a lot that I could be like a children's show host because I'm very like, hi, like, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just feel like I'd really thrive at like hosting a show for all these like adorable creatures. I'd be like, welcome back. Like here we have little blah, blah, blah. You know, I just feel like I oh do my great. God. It. whereas like tour manager i feel like it's a little i feel like it's too it's very like it's i don't say this in a mean way to myself it feels a little too cool for me and mm. it's not because i don't think i'm cool it's just like one feels very warm and one feels very cool and i vibe with the warm one more <laughs> that's a really good explanation for that <laughs> answering that question <laughs> And that makes a lot of sense just from this hour or so that we've been chatting. I'm like, I definitely can see that one million percent. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Marley, thank you so much for your time and for just just opening up and sharing your wisdom and your experiences with with me and with whoever ends up listening to this. Um, who, how can we find you? Like, how can we get in touch with you on social media or uh, if we wanted to look up your website? What's all your info? Yeah. Okay. So definitely where I post the most and where I really love to hear people hear from people. Like I always remind people on podcasts, I'm a human and I really enjoy getting messages of people being like, I just listened to this interview. It makes me very happy. So um, that would be on Instagram and my Instagram is Marley list. So it's M A R L E E L I S S. Um, and I do post a lot of resources and tips, especially related to what we we're talking about today. Um, so check that out. And then websites also marleylist.com. A huge focus for me right now is speaking. So if people are on campuses, you feel like your campus would benefit from this or involved in conferences, like please reach out as well. If you go to my Instagram link in bio, you'll find everything. But I wanted to mention as well that my friend Eva Bloom and I have co-founded a 2S LGBTQIA plus virtual community called Fuck Compact Club. And it's really wonderful. It's quite accessible, I would say. Um, we, it has a 24-7 Discord community and monthly guided Zoom calls. And it's so lovely. So whether you're queer or questioning as well, you're so, so welcome. And it's super beautiful. So all the things I just said, 
in my Instagram link in bio. So that's really the spot to find all the things. Okay. That's incredible. I will put all of that info um, in the description box below for any of you listening to this. Um, definitely go check, definitely go check all of this stuff out. I am super stoked about, I'm like, I'm super extroverted. So I feel like my battery just charged a lot. So I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> I love it. But seriously, thank you so, so much for your time and for everything that you do. Um, Sorry, hold on. I can never. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, thank you so much for your time and everything that you do. Uh, if you're ever in St. Louis, Missouri, come yes. say hey. We'll sit down and we'll eat. Ooh, let's eat latkes because I've been craving them ever since Hanukkah ended. Okay. <laughs> and we'll do same that. for you if you're ever in Toronto. Um, please let me know and we'll hang out. And thank you so much for having me and like echoing right back the work you've done is amazing and like the glimpses of your story that i've learned are so amazing and inspiring so thank you so much for existing being you thank you we'll see you soon Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Uni Project Podcast. If you guys enjoyed what you heard today, then feel free to go leave us a review anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Or if you wanted to get involved or get in touch, follow me on Instagram at JackieG.TV or check out my website for any and all information, JackieGronlin.com. All of that info is in the description box below. See you next time.